Putting the pieces together with Jigsaw Learning focuses on stories from the field as leaders implement collaborative response. Join us every month as we invite our partners to share how they are meeting the diverse needs of students with the integral understanding that every child deserves a team. Welcome back to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. Curtis, Lorna, and I are joined today by Nancy McClellan, who is retired now and on her own in a consulting business. But I had the good fortune to meet Nancy when I taught in Fox Creek and maintained connections with her as we both worked in Northern Gateway. And so I'm really excited to hear about Nancy's next steps on her journey. So hi, Nancy. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, Nancy. Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks so for uh, having me. We are so glad to have you, Nancy. Do you want to give our audience a little bit of background about you and your experience and, you know, what you love about the job? Um, well, I've always loved teaching. Um, I've been a teacher for a, a, a very long time. I spent more than 30 years as a teacher. Uh, not all of it teaching, some of it staying home and raising my family. Uh, originally from the East Coast, I've been uh, living in Alberta now for about 15 years. Uh, I worked in a small rural school for most of that time in a uh, junior kindergarten to grade three school and uh, with many different roles. I was a classroom teacher in grade one and grade two. I did some intervention support in the end when we decided that we really needed to do something to tackle the learning difficulties that we were seeing in our, in our classes. We had little ones coming with very low language skills and they were really struggling. So we started an intervention and then that was my role. Um, developing that and putting that in place. And then when I retired this past June, I decided that I would uh, continue to work with that idea and try to spread that word of uh, reaching all of our students' needs by doing a, a large-scale intervention. And that's what I've been uh, doing some talking with Curtis and Lorna about and uh, kind of spreading that word. Well, we know that that's critically important work, and we're going to learn so much about that as well. But I think we'd be remiss Nancy, if we didn't have an opportunity to talk about your other passion post-retirement, and that is as a cruise aficionado. Do you want to uh, <laughs> share your background around that? And uh, we know it's something you and your husband, Chris, definitely enjoy uh, pre- and post-retirement for you. Yes, for sure. So as uh, as I retired, uh, my husband, Chris, who is also a teacher, uh, continues to work, uh, but also now has an eye towards retirement. So he's looking for something that he could do and his uh, passion for travel, he's gonna be looking at traveling anyway. So I suggested probably he should look into uh, becoming a travel agent. He had looked at it previously, but uh, <laughs> so he, re he reignited that. So his uh, our travel agency is Mac Evans Travel and he uh, specializes in cruising and family vacations, making memories one trip at a time. We loved traveling with our girls when they were younger. And we found that cruises were our ideal uh, family vacation. The kids loved going to camp. We loved sending them to camp. Uh, <laughs> then, we loved, then we loved spending time with them when they came out and we did dinner together. So they cruised oh. the world. They saw different places. They saw places that were much more glamorous than we would ever live and places that were far, far from what we would ever consider livable. So we uh, we gave them a real worldly experience and so now that's um that's my husband's passion and I kind of go along for the ride so we uh we've been cruising and we've been uh we were on a train ride and 
we've been doing all different kinds of travel and uh it's been it's been really wonderful now to be able to work to do that during my retirement oh that's outstanding nancy yeah, we, we had to get that plug in there <laughs> for <you>. sure <laughs> so uh, our history goes back a fair while as yeah. well when we were engaging with uh, your school division and and really talking about collaborative response and how do we meet the needs of all students and I can remember when we were talking about, you know, developing out your continuum of supports and when do you start to provide um, time to mm -hmm. be able to provide some of the more in-depth interventions. And at that time, I had shared with you a setup that we had built within my own school, something that we had come to refer to as BLAST. Um, mm -hmm. Your eyes lit up with that and obviously took that that little seed and and grew it into something so for those listeners that are here can you describe what blast is what that stands for uh and what it looks like within uh your previous school and how you're sharing it out now so um yeah my principal sherry and i we had been uh because i was at that time a uh, literacy uh support teacher i was doing some um, uh, LLI, Level Literacy Interventions programs and doing some, um, I did call them booster groups. So we had some like really struggling grade three. So I would I would have a group come out in the afternoons and I had three or four TAs that I would give instructions and give specific programs with steps in it to, to try to help these kids. And but primarily to... pull-out type scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and in groups of 10 or 12 pull-outs because these specific children, and then I'd have three or four TAs working with two or three at a time, doing um, doing things like online reading books, um, uh, different skill skill building kind of activities. Uh, but all pull out through the afternoon. They would be out of their social and science classes, social studies and science. Um, and and that was okay. But we felt like we were always playing catch up. We're working with grade threes, grade ones, and grade twos. Their, their learning is so essential in the classroom, we didn't want to remove them for blocks of time. So the grade threes, we, we just really needed to try our best to catch them up in the end. And we didn't seem to be making a lot of headway. So when you were mentioned the whole group, the whole school, it was really fascinating to us. Um, and it really seemed like it would be something that would help a lot of our students all at the same time. So from there, um, Sherry and uh, Chris and I went to a conference in January that was the uh, Literacy Day here in Edmonton, and I went to a, a presentation by the Learning Disabilities Association, and they talked about catching kids before they fail and kids falling through the cracks, and they had some really fascinating, uh, great courses to take, uh, uh, one in particular um, that I took on the beginnings of learning to read, phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, and that really opened a door for me to what could be causing our our, our lag in our in our um, reading development at our school. Uh, and then in the spring, we got together actually at the um, Collaborative Response Summit, and we worked with some, we met with some of the other people within Northern Gateway, and everybody was really pretty excited about this idea. So Sherry and I decided we'd go ahead. So Blast, um, when you presented it to me, um, you had it had stood for um, basic literacy acquisition skills time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as we worked, um, I changed the, the acronym. Um, so now I say it's building literacy and supporting teamwork. Because that's oh, why nice. it's in the collaborative response so well, because it is all about teamwork. It's the teamwork of your staff working together 
to make it successful for the kids, putting together these little teams of kids that are going to work together and support each other. Uh, and the whole idea is that you do a large scale intervention. So you either take multiple classes in the same grade. Um, some of the schools in Northern Gateway have like six grade one classes. So you could do it with just grade ones, all those classes, or um, you could do a whole school. So in my school, we did kindergarten, grade one, grade two, and grade three all together. And it starts with a dedicated time block. So you have a dedicated intervention block where nobody has anything outside of the classroom. There's no computer, there's no library, no music, none of those specials that the kids are going to miss. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to work with a group of kids while the rest of the class is at gym, but that doesn't work. That It just, it doesn't. So this way, everybody is free to come. And then you assess the kids, you find out what their, abs what their basic needs are, what building blocks are missing. That's the key. And then you put them in small groups to build those little building blocks. And the kids move through those skills one by one, learning all those building blocks uh, until they become proficient readers. And my role now that, I've now that I've retired is I created the materials that would support that within a school. So I've created the lessons and the, I call them toolkits um, mm -hmm. to teach those skills along with an assessment to pinpoint them and place kids where they need to be. Uh, and then I also provide training services to schools because it is a big project. You need somebody who likes not chaos, but organized <laughs> chaos, because in the end, we had 140 students and 23 staff changing every nine days, always meeting the needs of every student. So it takes it takes an organization to be in place to be able to 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 facilitate that. Uh, and that's what I absolutely love. So I offer my services uh, for training for staff on literacy development, reading development, as well as the organizational end of it, so that a school could implement that large-scale intervention. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Nancy. Yeah. That's that's really exciting. You talked about um, how collaboration is so important and so key in that work. Can you tell us how this uh, that intervention block connects with collaborative team meetings. So I know that at collaborative team meetings, because we took we took part in them for for a very long time, almost since you started, I think. Um, and I know that the focus is always not always the focus can be on um, where are the struggles and who else is struggling and and what are some steps we can take to work together to solve that mm -hmm. that struggle. Um, and it really is about taking it off of a teacher and putting it onto our collaborative group to, to, to brainstorm, to, to use all of our resources. It always amazes me how you think, I wish I could do this. And somebody would say, oh, I can do that. And you're like, what? You can do that? And they're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And, and it was beyond my even thoughts that anybody would ever be able to do it. And yet somebody can just casually say they can do it. And like, even like little programs or little things, or I wish I had that. And somebody says, oh, I have one of those. But but if you're not talking to each other, you don't realize that. You right. don't realize your strengths. And that's yeah. what I like to think of with BLAST is that you're really maximizing your collective teaching power by bringing everybody together and really using everybody's strength and everybody's um, full capacity to do it. So 
So in the collaborative response model, when we get together and we find out that each of us is struggling with a few students that need this or need that, for us to be able to say, can we do a group of those kids? Can we do a group? For example, I had a, um, a grade three uh, group who had um, a handful of students who really still struggled with letters and letter sounds, really didn't have that um, proficiently. And we had just started a new program in our school, Zoophonics, in the grade one class, and our grade one teachers were wild about this. And I said, well, maybe, maybe the grade threes who never did get that, maybe they could benefit from, from learning Zoophonics. It has motions, it has things, but they're grade threes. So like, when are they ever gonna be able to meet with a grade one teacher? Well, they can do that during blast. We mm -hmm. put those six grade threes plus the two grade twos and the couple of grade ones that were really struggling. We put them all together in a group. And because they all take part in blast, where they go and what they do, there's no stigma attached to that. The fact that the grade threes are learning letters and letter sounds, nobody really knows that because they just go to the classroom and do blast. Everybody's doing blast. So everybody feels like they're 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 being they're part of the the program without isolating those kids that you know really need that that one specific skill and we've had some really good success with that because we can really meet those kids needs so it's another way to support plus then you have the grade three teachers who maybe don't have a lot of experience doing letters and letter sounds because really they should be reading and so now that grade three teacher feels supported because she doesn't have to find all the materials she doesn't have to come and find supplies she doesn't have to figure out how to teach letters and letter sounds while she's doing novel studies while she's doing all the other uh, grade three activities, she doesn't have to necessarily focus on supporting that student in that particular skill because they know that they're getting it during their blast time. They'll still mm -hmm. do their adaptations and their differentiation and everything, but they'll know that those kids' needs are being met during blast time because that's when we can focus on that. So Nancy, I've always been fascinated with this idea of of an intervention block within a school and how it connects to collaborative response. So when you were sharing there before that you would take, pull out students from the classroom, you'd have EAs that you would mm -hmm. be directing to take students. Really, that's what we would refer to as a tier three support. It's a support yeah. provided by someone other than a classroom teacher. Right. And within this, what you're doing is really creating a block of time in the day blast where this could be a space where we could be intentionally integrating tier one supports things that we could do for all students tier two supports that where the teacher could have some additional time with their students or tier three supports but now instead of just having a, a literacy lead teacher and a couple of EAs other teachers can be providing those tier three supports during that time so really what you're doing is maximizing that time with a block to be able to offer and I could assume that you could even if you wanted offer tier four supports if you had someone external that was coming in for that do you want to talk about how sometimes that blast block could be utilized for more than just the the let's work on this toolkit for the next nine days yeah exactly and and that's what I loved about it is that like when you start to think about the power that you have I mean not to call it power but it's power that you have because you literally have access to all of the students and all of the teachers in that time period. So, so we had uh, teachers like the library teacher 
there's no library classes. Well, the librarian is now free. So she takes a group. So if you have a gym teacher, if you're lucky enough to have a gym teacher at your school, they're free because you don't have gym classes. So we would do physical literacy in the gym. But all of those levels of support are present. So I can give you an example. So tier one support is, are things that you're going to do with larger groups during that time. Because our small groups, we want to have no more than six in a group. But of course, in within our group or with, within our school, or even within a grade, we don't have a six to one ratio of children to adults. If we did, we probably would be on top of everything and be able to just have that all day. Um, but but because we don't have that ratio, what we want to do is we want to take some of those students and put them in larger groups. Um, and uh, then that allows that frees up staff to work with our our lowest students, our most struggling students in small groups. Those larger groups are actually tier one um, teaching. So uh, we would do things like comprehension activities. We can do some numeracy activities and even mix it up there. But we could do things like reader's theater. So reader's theater would be considered something I would do with my whole class. I would do reader's theater. But when I have a really diverse range of students, it can be a real challenge. And so this way, if I've got a group of students who really don't need intervention, they're all fine. They they all assess right through all the skills. They know they know all the skills. Now I'm doing readers theater to build fluency with a with a narrower um, range of abilities within my group, and that makes it uh, easier for me to teach it, more effective to teach it, and it's it's a tier one instructional yeah. practice. But um, the beauty of that is you're working through nine day cycles. So it doesn't mean that this kid will forever in a day be in a small group and this one will forever in a day be in large group. I can, right. after that nine day cycle, we can look at something different. And I imagine even find opportunities for an enrichment cycle mm -hmm. for some of our students. And that flexibility for both staff and students is yeah. really beautiful. Yeah, it, it really it really benefits everybody. So I had a teacher come to me when you talk about extension, um, I had a teacher come and say, um, is there is there a way that we could do a writing round in BLAST? And I said, are you saying you would like to do a writing round? <laughs> and she said, I am. I see what you did there, smooth. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I said, then you can. Um, she said, well, I'd really like to have them for 18 days. Like, I really think I need two rounds done. Done and done. So I gave her, like, she had a dream group, right? All of the kids that can read and can, like those ones that need that extension. And for her, she got to really push those kids because they were all quite capable. And for her, she got to kind of go through some activities that she wasn't sure. She could really round it out. She could figure it out. And then when she went back to teach it in her own class, she had an end goal in mind and she knew where she could get them. Um, and for her, it was very beneficial. And for those kids, they came out with a, a full blown book and did authors tours and all of that within our school. So really beneficial to everybody. Um, and for a teacher to be able to, to find their passion, as well as be able to benefit those kids. Um, we also did extension groups with things like uh, math. So Chris is loved the math and did the Steve Wyborny is is one of the math guys that has these estimistries and these online activities totally appropriate for grade one grade two and grade three um, and and he would lead them through that very open-ended very much building the oral language the discussion things like that and better in a bigger group you don't really want to do that with six kids because that's not enough 
Um, but again, that tier one teaching, he would do that with his own class, whole group. Um, and it really is amazing to watch these little grade ones that can estimate. And the grade threes going, wow, he got that. Like, yeah, because he was looking here. Tell me what you did. And these little grade ones building confidence because they're they're high achievers in grade one. So what do you do when you've got so many struggling? Well, you put them in with the grade threes and they they really come up and they really feel empowered by that. Mm -hmm. um, so the tier one um, teaching really occurs in that extension piece or that that large group piece. Um, the tier two where you're kind of doing things that you would have done it within your classroom. So you you can do that with your your comprehension activities and your um, your small group work. Um, doing some of those um, extensions. And then another really great, like I said, about taking those grade threes and putting them in with the zoophonics to learn letters and letter skills. Right. Um, another really great use of the blast time. And it really is, once you start to think about how flexible it is and how great the access is to those kids, um, I know that some of our teachers have got very specific training. Uh, and sometimes it's really hard to implement that training. So for example, I did a uh, multi-day course on uh, Linda Mood Bell visualizing and verbalizing, V&V. &V. And it's a very specific intervention, a very specific um, program to be used with a very specific uh, learning need. So it's a child who cannot picture while they read. And once I took that training, another teacher and I did, and the other teacher was that grade one teacher, but she'll, she won't get to do that with a group unless somebody covers her class and she comes out of class then those kids have to come out of their class to be able to help and it's a very essential skill for kids to have but it's really hard to access the kids when they're mm -hmm. really spread throughout the school except in blast so in blast she could get a group of six who needed that skill which we discover through our collaborative response meetings and as we're having our meetings we're talking about kids who really can't visualize. They don't, their comprehension is really limited. They read and read, and then they have no idea what it is that they're reading. And, and if we decide or determine that probably this program would be good for them, that's where they go during blast. During that, that, that lunch, block of time that that's just block. consistent every day in my school. Every day. So they yeah. get that half hour a day, every day, really for as long as they need. If nine days is enough, that's great. If not, we can do another nine or they can do nine days. Then they could go out and do something like reader's theater. And then they could come back and do another nine days. Right. right. You can really manipulate where they go and what they do to really suit the individual needs of each student. And I think the, the most gratifying thing for teachers is that when you're, when you're in your class of 20 odd kids and you've got two who really can't tell you the beginning sounds of words, you've got these two that sound out every single word they read and never blend it together. You've got these ones that are at this level. It's it's a it's a daunting task to try to specialize every single thing. Now, in general, you can you can do part this and part this, but then you've got mm -hmm. those little those kids that you just need things, especially if they are significantly behind, right? Mm -hmm. And then, but with blast, we can we can hand pick the kids from the different groups and put them together. Uh, and then I, I have to say that the other most powerful part of BLAST, and I can't really even overstate how important it is, is that when these kids get in these little groups where they need to be and they're learning skills that they need to learn, but it's the right step. It's that proximal 
development, right? Like it's mm -hmm. just hard enough. These kids finally start to believe that they can learn. Because these kids have been sitting in, especially I, I think of these grade three kids sitting in classrooms, not reading anything that the teacher gives them. And yes, the teacher helps them read it to them and they maybe have an EA in the room and they can help read it to them, but they can't read it. They can't read anything that's around them. They 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 don't they stop participating because everything they say is usually wrong. Um, and they either act out, that's a lot of our behaviors, or they turn inward and they just silence themselves. But these kids are sitting in these classrooms and they just really don't believe in themselves. And when I sit with a little group of six and I can give an attaboy, at a girl, attaboy, at a girl, you got it, you got it, you got it. You can just see them. You can just see them change and be, I got it. Yes, that's it. And what I love about these small groups is that, and what I emphasize in my training is that I make them successful 100% of the time. Because a lot of these kids, especially especially when you get up into grade fours, grade fives, grade six, where they're not even really teaching them how to read anymore. They're just expecting them and they fall further and further behind. A lot of these kids, they just need to believe that they can do it. And I can hand feed them exactly what they need to get it right, like the answer. So if I'm looking for what sound is at the beginning of bat, and they say, I don't know, I go bat, say, but they say, but, and I say, you got it. That's it. That's the sound. Say it again. But you got it. You're right. What's the sound at the beginning of bat? They'll say, but you got it. You're right. <laughs> now I gave them the answer 100%. 100% I gave them the answer. But I can control how much support I give them. I can wean that off. I can step mm -hmm. that back. And I can backwards chain so that they become more independent. But if they won't answer me, I can't do anything. If they won't give me a sound for an answer, I can't see whether they're right, whether they're wrong, how to help them. I can't see anything. So I need them to participate. So that idea of starting at 100% support for 100% success is huge. And in small groups, I can do that. And here's the kicker is that I have found that teachers who have small groups of kids who are not their own, who are from outside of their own personal classroom, are far more willing and capable and energetic and eager to do that than they are within their own classroom. And, and I liken it to when your kid has friends come over and the kid's friend spills the glass of milk, you react totally differently than when your own kid spills it. <laughs> like you react totally differently. It's a different feeling because they're 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 visitors. They're coming. You've got goal. Like you're not going to let them run wild in your house, but it's a little. It's a different kind of feeling. And so I've had a lot of teachers come up to me and talk to me about how fun the blast groups are, how much they love being with kids in a different age group, whether they're grade one teachers with grade threes or grade three yeah. teachers with grade ones. They love it. They they love that interaction. It's a really different feeling. And and also they're in their room with only six children. Like it's yeah. huge. Even when I'm doing small groups, small reading, guided reading groups of six kids, I'm not alone. I've got all the other kids that I'm watching just because, you know, they're independent. They can only be so independent. But but to have the the joy of just having six kids at my table. 
and focusing on a single activity and a single skill building, it's very empowering for teachers and for students. And I love to I love to see that and and see that success. Nancy, I'm an administrator. That's my hat I just put on. Yeah. I love the enthusiasm. I'm sold on this concept with the flexibility and the collaboration and meeting every kid's needs. And but you also talk a little bit about the complexity of it all. Mm-hmm. What might you suggest are some of the first steps I could take as an administrator to bring blast to my school? Great question. So um I've always said the the most important or the very first step you need to do as an administrator is wrap your head around the embedded time block. Mm-hmm. Because you need to think about when it's going to be and when it's going to work. And the, 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 the simplest way to start that is to start small and grow. And when we started, we started with grade twos. We did just the three grade two classes, and that's all we included. We probably could have started with the grade ones because they probably needed it just as much, if not more. But our grade two teachers were incredibly enthusiastic. Yeah, learn the process, pilot yeah, it. Pilot. And, they yeah. were buying and they were, we, we bought in big time. Like we yeah. wanted it. We wanted it. Grade ones were a little iffy. Grade threes were a little iffy. So we did it first. And so you you want to look at what teacher buy-in do you have? Our, all three, our three grade two classes all had um, EAs at the time. So there's extra bodies. That was important. I, I know our principals, the principals started, our admins started right away trying to do a um, intervention block that cleared everybody, but ended up needing to put a couple of grade three classes in the gym during that period, or she had odd things in. Um, but after we ran blast with just the grades, so we just did three classes. I think there were seven, seven um, adults with three classes of kids. Uh, and I think we ended up with seven adults. I think we did five small groups. And then the other two adults split the rest of the kids between them uh, as two larger groups. So you can still be very effective. I mean, I've got five small groups with six kids in each group. That's 30 students getting small group inter- instruction with one grade. Um, so that's a bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. And then after we did um, our first round and the kids were thrilled and excited, the grade threes came and said, so I've got a few kids that I think could be in this. And we go, yeah, you're in or you're out. So everybody needs to come. Everybody needs to come. Okay. And then we ended up being able to um, add the grade ones as well. So um, the enthusiasm within the school, the word will spread, but you want to start with that embedded time block. Uh, And then once you've got the embedded time block, then you're looking at resources. And that's one of the things that when when I was in my role that I really tried um, to take all of the extra work that this would create off of the teachers. So I know that at Curtis's school, when he started BLAST, the teachers took it, took it upon themselves to take a topic and to develop the lesson plan. Totally a way to go. Um, but I took it upon myself to do that. I wanted consistency across the toolkits. I wanted, I wanted to take away the need to relearn things. I wanted to have a regular systematic approach for each lesson. And I think that's so critical for the success is, yeah. is there consistency yeah. between the different groups? That was one thing we learned early yeah. on was if one room was using the time in a totally different structure and format than another, it yeah. um, it was not 
effective for well, systemness. And you want right. to have the the experience being similar for kids because right. if one teacher is is doing uh, the instruction through games yep. and another teacher is uh, perhaps yep. using worksheets, which <laughs> and those are different experiences for kids. Yep. So to yep. be able to create a consistency yep. from classroom to classroom or yep. group to group is yep. exactly. And that's one of the challenges that I found with uh, many of the the resources that I would use is that I would spend a lot of time teaching kids how to play a game. So I would have a game to play and it would I would have 10 minutes. So I would show them how to play the game and then we would start to take turns and, you know, and then they have to roll the dice and then they have to count out the things and then they have to pick the card and then they read the words. So, you know, in 10 minutes playing, each student says three words. Well, that doesn't serve my purpose. So uh, so when I did it, I, I have three games that rotate through. They all play the same way. They just have a different setup. Um, but the playing is the same. So the kids get a little bit of differentiation, a little bit of a difference, but they all know how to play. Once they finish one toolkit, the games are exactly the same. So they all know how to play. Every day is a uh, word study activity, so a word sort or a word exploring with cards. They get very good at doing that. Um, so that all runs really easily. Uh, and teachers really love that because it's very consistent. And it really lets you take your focus off of the activity and put it on the learning, right? So you can really focus on those kids and make sure that every single one is participating. There's always something to hold. Like it has to be multi-sensory. They have to hold a card, hold a cube, hold a token, hold something. So when I when I develop the activities and I develop the resources, I make sure that there's always something for kids to 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 manipulate, because for some of them it really is essential to their learning to be able to move to be engaged. They don't get the engagement. A lot of the kids are have fallen behind because when I'm teaching whole group, and I teach Lorna. I ask Lorna, what sound does bat start with? And she says, t, and I say, listen to the beginning, b, 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 bat, it's the first sound. And she says, b, that's great. Now I assume Curtis sitting beside her has got that figured out because he's sitting right beside her. I just taught her when I say to Curtis, what sound does bat start with? I fully expect him to say b because he's right there. But our kids that are falling behind, they don't get that. No, if you're not teaching it to them, they're not learning it. And yeah. they'll you'll say to them, "What sound does bat start with?" And they'll be like, oh, tuh. <laughs> "Didn't I just go through that with Lorna? Did I not just teach Lorna that?" <laughs> right? Like, oh, Curtis is going to take multiple <laughs> iterations. Correct his heart. Correct his heart. I know what group Curtis will need to go in. <laughs> but that's our kids that fall behind is that they don't have that peripheral learning, right? Like they don't learn because kids around them are learning. They need to be taught directly. And so in these small groups, you can really do that. And then the further the further they fall behind, the more wrong they get, the less they're gonna they're the less they're gonna try. They they're not risk takers, they will not try and they just a lot of these kids will just shut down or there are kids that act out mm -hmm. and then just can get out of doing it because it's very uncomfortable for them to be in that yeah. situation. So, so yeah, they, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of flexibility there and a lot of that individual instruction. We're coming to the part in our episode here where we ask all of our guests essentially the same question. 
This question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. In the spirit of knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and give yourself when you first started Blast collaborative response and bring that all together. Uh, I would say include more people. Um, I would say include and collaborate more. Collaborate more. The most success we had was in Blast was the year where we had um, um, our our professional learning community time, our PLC time. We rolled it through a Friday, so every other Friday, I think everybody had a PLC block. And I would coordinate blast to end the Thursday. And then all the teachers would come in and we would talk about all of the kids and how well they did and review. And that collaboration is is priceless. It really is. The strength that we have within our teaching community, the strength that our teachers bring to the classroom are, are really amazing. And, and often it just becomes so overwhelming to meet the needs that we have in our classroom that we get really focused on staying afloat. We get focused on, on treading water and keeping everybody kind of with us. I think we really need to rely on each other in that collaborative response model to try to build on everybody's strengths, to try to see where people can help to support each other so that we're not, we don't all feel like we're treading water together. Um, I, I am always, and, it, and it's funny, working together. I love it when teachers are doing things that are different from me, because I really enjoy that variety. It gives me ideas, but I also really love it when they're doing the same thing as me. And I feel satisfied that I've got a, a colleague and a collaborator that I can, that I can work with. So either way can really be beneficial. I think we just really need to be open to that that support of each other. All right, Nancy. So reaching that end of, of this episode, can you share out with uh, people where they could go to be able to learn more about BLAST, maybe to be able to contact you and, and see this as potentially a next step that they could see around really trying to envision when can you provide supports that we're identifying in our continuum of supports that are essential for kids? The, the, there's those two parts, well, the three parts, really, right? Like, how do I identify what the kids need? And then how do we give them what they need? And then how do we all work together to make sure that that can happen for everybody? Um, and that's what I really like about BLAST is that it's that large scale, well, as, as large as you want it to be approach. So my company is Nancy Mack Consulting uh, at school. I was always Mrs. Mack. They called me Nancy Mack. So it's nancymackconsulting.ca. That's probably the easiest way to reach me. There's a reach me form on there. Uh, my email is nancymackconsulting at gmail.com. So, and Chris is mackevanstravel.ca. We will include that <laughs> in the show notes as well. Sure awesome. If you're interested in anything, uh, it's been an exciting journey. So 
I'm looking forward to working with individual schools to really help them meet that need. It's a uh, it's a it's a lot to kind of get in the beginning part of it, but then yeah. it really just kind of goes, and uh, it's really amazing the doors that it opens and the opportunity that you can give both your staff and your students um, by implementing it school wide. Well, Nancy, you've just reinforced for something that we share often. Uh, in fact, we were in a meeting just prior to this, sharing that very idea of the effort at the front is front loaded. There is uh, an investment that comes, but when you can put that in at the front and where we see impact over time is just substantial. Yeah, Nancy, we so appreciate your excitement and and your passion, and that is most certainly contagious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy the journey. I enjoy the learning, and I really think that it's something that can really uh, help us support our, our learners of all ages. Nancy, thank you so much for being here and sharing your enthusiasm. And I do hope our audience does reach out because I had the opportunity to see the results of what you had implemented in your school mm -hmm. and to to see the beautiful charts of kids that were here that are now here and the success that this can bring. Yeah. So I do encourage our audience to reach out to you because this could be a key piece in making sure all our kids get their needs met. Exactly. Thank you, Jen. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In collaborative response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. Nancy's enthusiasm. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of it there. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, so well, exciting. I know a lot of that enthusiasm, and Jen, you alluded to it in our conversation with her, is she saw the impact. I mean, we yeah. all saw the bulletin boards that had oh, data color-coded, and you know, you'd see a lot of red in November, and then you'd look at the March um, charts, and you'd see a lot of green as they were color-coding that data, I mean, she saw the impact that this had, not just on the learners, but on the staff as well. So it definitely comes through in her enthusiasm. A couple of things that stood out for me um, were flexibility, mm -hmm. right? When she yeah. talked about those nine day cycles and the ability to to shift kids and, and that the time was there to have the discussion at the end of the nine days, but okay, which kids need to go where and what are our needs, lessons yeah. like that? But that cycling of the nine days is critical. We see yeah. schools that set up those intervention things without the Review. start and end yeah. date. And um, you just don't want a, a student trapped in that group for perpetuity. And then she talked about the the collaboration or and really the teamwork. Right. Yeah. The collaboration of the staff coming together and deciding those things, but even the the culture of teamwork that's developed yeah. amongst the kids. 
Well, and that idea of, <laughs> I think her words were involve more people. <laughs> bring as many into the conversation as you can. Yeah, that really stood out to me too, Jen, is that, you know, that idea of we're coming together, we're coming together very purposefully to help each other and to help our students, which you know that we we would uh, totally adhere to those ideas too. But just the fact that through this intervention block, we have that opportunity of meeting the needs of, of students and meeting the needs of teachers as well. And that growth and uh, the collaboration together really has huge impact. I did note though, two leadership principles that we talk about yeah. often uh, in around implementation one of them is the value of piloting, yeah. of being able to start small with a yeah. group that is ready to see it fail um, and be okay with that. And then with that idea of potential failure, that ready, fire, aim yeah. philosophy of we're going to fire and we're going to try and it might not work, but we'll tweak and tweak and tweak as, as we go. To me, those are just so critical when we think about implementation and it's it's lessons we always share back oh, yeah. around collaborative response of where are the places where you could pilot with a small group who would be okay with it not working as to optimal performance off the start and that's okay. But then also how do we reinforce that we're going to fire and learn through that process and then aim. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, that uh, really in that leadership realm of things that she talked about is embedding time. And how do we create, which we know is sometimes a huge barrier for people, mm -hmm. um, creating that embedded time and for that intervention block to work. Ideally, you really need to consider, you know, how do we create space in our timetable to be able to use that. And when we started this work in our school, we had we already had some ideas about what it would look like, but we didn't think we were quite ready to jump on the intervention block bandwagon <laughs> quite yet, but we had uh, put it into our timetable um, ahead oh, of time a, so that rock. we knew it was a big rock. Big rock yeah. that goes in first. And then when we were ready, we were able to use it because we didn't have some of those competing things in the schedule like Nancy talked about. And then the last thing for me that stood out, and it's something that, that we talk about with collaborative response in general, and therefore it would apply in the intervention block time, is the integrity and consistency, yes. right? It's purposeful, it's intentional, and it's done in such a way that every child knows what they're going to experience. Every teacher knows what they're going to experience. Predictability. Predictability, clarity. Yes. <laughs> Consistency. Right. Yeah. It, it it makes it easier for staff transitions. Should should staff come in and staff go? And it helps with the buy-in, knowing that I'm not being asked to do more than any of my peers, whether yeah. I be a student or whether I be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's not enough to create that embedded time and then just say, okay, we've got this intervention block, everybody go to it. Yeah, best of luck. <laughs> but, but to be able to have that structure and have that support and Nancy most certainly served, served in that role of, okay, so, you know, I, I'll lead this forward and help you as much as I can. But she also spoke to the idea of 
do this work together and design those pieces together with the teachers because people have such teachers have such amazing ideas and amazing strengths to be able to design incredible um, activities and incredible uh, supports for students. All right, Jen. So this is the part of the episode we always turn to you to work <laughs> your magic. If you could summarize the key learnings out of today, where would you go? First key learning would be around culture, flexibility, teamwork, collaboration. Second key learning would be around leadership, embedding the time, taking the risk to pilot and being willing to fail and grow forward. Uh, and that notion of ready, fire, aim. You're going to lead that, you're going to be vulnerable with it, and you're going to be there to support your staff as they do it. And then the second piece of the leadership piece is embedding that time, mm -hmm. giving the space so that it can happen, so that people aren't trying to work it out on their own. Now, whether that be the time for the collaborative team meeting or the time for the blast intervention, it is a big rock. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing I would say is integrity, consistency, predictability. Those are those are principles, tenets that we discuss all the time in the various aspects of collaborative response. And BLAST is no different. All right, Jen, as always, it is a pleasure to be able to connect and once again, boost our learning as we engage with, with all of our guests in our Putting the Pieces Together podcast. I hope you too are seeing the impact that you have by sharing your experiences, even from, you mean, you talk about collaborative response, but BLAST started in your school under one acronym and has mm -hmm. grown as a result of the fact that you were just willing to share it. Well, and really it was just the response to what are we going to do, which then necessitated the next question of, yeah, that's great, but now when are we going to do that? Uh, again, it's how do you how do you respond to the needs of your students and knowing that it may take some different ways of thinking within our building. So it comes back to every child serves the team. Absolutely. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again for more conversations about establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response.